It's time once again for another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host, Emily Rowell. My name is Emily Rowell. I am your host and welcome to Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Without further ado, David Windicher. Hey, I love hearing those organizations and people. Alvaro is brilliant, uh, one of my good friends, and John Marshall obviously being the school that gave me a chance to um, yeah. take on this journey, and uh, obviously you guys gave me the platform to share the journey. I'm so excited. David grew up impoverished in the sweet streets, sorry, sweet streets, not the sweet streets, of, of <laughs> Miami. Let me start over again. <laughs> oh, you're good. That was good. I like that. Got sweet flow, streets. Flow on. <laughs> David grew up impoverished in the streets of Miami. Surrounded by rampant crime and little opportunity, David chose a life of vice and violence out of depression. What started as a desperate measure to feed his family of six turned into a criminal lifestyle. He joined a gang, sold dope, built and masterminded a crime ring, and was arrested 13 times. He risked his life and the lives of his family to leave the gang. He vanquished self-doubt and conquered deep fears of fitting in at school to pursue an education. So in 2005, he graduated summa cum laude from college and proceeded to graduate from John Marshall Law School in Atlanta. <coughs> wow. I know. Like, that's like the sum. Dude, that's a movie. And I will be working in it. Uh, look for that. 2016, folks. Uh, I, I see it. I see it coming. I do, too. And, and do you go by David Lee? Yes, uh, they teach you in school, uh, law school, to use the threes. And so I've always thought, and I kind of I like the, the way the name flows, David Lee Winnetrich, so I've always stuck with the Especially the in the name. South for some reason. Mm-hmm. It works. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So here we're here today to talk about him, his story, and his book that he wrote to journal his story. It's called The American Dream, History, His Story. His Story. There's his an story. emphasis on that, his story. In the making. And I read it in like two days because it's absolutely, it's inspiring. It's, you just can't put it down. Do you have a signed copy? I do. Wow. Yes. It's sitting here on the table. That would be (laughs) cool to have. I think I'd read one in two days too if I had a signed copy. Yeah. I'd have to work on that. We're going to have to get you one, Craig. Oh, thanks. (laughs) So let's start. Let's go back. We have to definitely go back and get started. So kind of tell me, and it's so funny because I always ask my guests, how did they get into law? Wow, that could take the whole hour. Well, you just told the story pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah. a criminal. He didn't like that side, so he got into law. Yeah, yeah. You've always wanted to be a lawyer. Right. The alternative was scary. I was going down the wrong path. So yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't have a choice, really. So what was it like growing up in the impoverished streets of northern Miami, correct? Right. Um, I grew up on the other side of white picket fence, perfect. I wasn't raised wrong. My parents instilled great values in us, but I was raised in the wrong place. It's a scary environment growing up in a lower socioeconomic place like that. Um, You have to obey whatever rules that keep you alive Mm. and whatever is that allows you to survive. Whatever you need to do to put a meal on the plate is what you'll do. And, um, you know, living down in those environments, you know you're poor. And it's pretty terrifying for a kid to realize that you're poor. There's no shackles that are heavier than poverty's because you will do anything really in essence to overcome whatever your immediate circumstances are mm. to eat to eat mhm to and survive to survive exactly so i mean we moved there when i was uh, 10 years old from argentina and i quickly realized that we were poor in argentina you have the same as everybody else that you wear the same outfits to school um, you travel the same way, everybody's walking. And so when I came to America, 
I quickly realized I was poor because just several miles down from uh, North Miami Beach where we grew up, there's South Beach, and there's kids that are 16-year-old driving Lamborghinis, and it really has a terrible effect on you. It makes you feel worthless that mm. you're the not contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Of course. Uh, the Center for Disease Control has studies on it that – growing up impoverished can have severe psychological distress on people and it causes you to uh, have hopelessness. Tell me what it was like a day going to school, coming home from school. Sure. Um, Middle school wasn't as bad. It was only a couple of blocks away, but when I got to, uh, excuse me, elementary school wasn't as bad. When I got to middle school, it was a whole another environment. It was gang saturated. It was Hispanic and African-American gangs. I remember the first Friday walking home from school, uh, two kids attempted to befriend me by saying, hey, which way are you walking? Uh, we'll walk with you, et cetera. So we walked in the same direction. As soon as we got off to a secluded area, these kids jumped me, mm. and they took my book bag, they took my shoes, they took my shirt, they took everything I had. And I remember just waking up bloodied and thinking, what is this? Mm. You know, why? What, why, why, what, what kind of life is this? And, and so my dad was a boxer growing up in Argentina, so he taught me how to box, and uh, he helped me understand how to flatten my knuckles on their faces next time they tried me like that. Mm. And so the following Friday, um, I started immediately fighting back, knowing what to expect. After a while, the kids realized that they, could, um, they couldn't take me out one or two of them, so eight, nine, ten of them will come after me. That made it difficult to keep standing. So Gosh. at that point is when I realized um, maybe I need some protection. So... I became friends with some of the Hispanic gangsters and ended up getting jumped into a gang. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I know. That's, that's all there is. You said something about Argentina. Your father is from Argentina. Is that where you were born? No, I was born in East Los Angeles. Okay. And kind of how the story starts is uh, we were born in East Los Angeles, which is one of the heavy, heavy gang-saturated environments in the entire country. And so my dad was working there as an independent contractor. He was pursuing his own American dream. He ended up not uh, collecting some money that was due to him, so he filed a civil action in trial court where he won. And what ended up happening was this is one of the things that motivated me to be an attorney, seeing the pain in my father's face when the appellate court overturned the decision. He was foreign. He didn't know the language, Mm -hmm. so he couldn't represent himself. He did it pro se. In civil cases, they don't appoint attorneys like they do in criminal cases. So my father lost, and we were forced to move back to Argentina when I was very, very young. And so I spent about five years in Argentina before we made it back to the United States. Wow. I mean, when people are thinking about what's for homework, what's for dinner, you know, they're, you know he's worried about dying, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Getting be- I mean, it's just unbelievable. But he's here, yeah. and I always think that it made him. It has to make you stronger. You're it's it's a great testament. And when you were telling me this, tell us uh, telling us the story about you know when there was a couple of them, and then it grew. To, the numbers grew. That also helped you uh, build your character. And your father was very instrumental in letting you know that hey, hey this is not easy. It's sure. I mean, he, he gave you a defense in mm-hmm. the sense. Well, my father didn't teach me how to be violent to just be violent. Exactly. He taught me to be violent so that I could make it home for dinner and protect your character protect who oh, yeah. you are absolutely reputation is very important in those environments the stronger reputation you have the better chances you have of survival mm-hmm. so then you form your own gang i mean this he, guy he does it 100 percent. if he does, he's going to do something he's going to do it 100 percent. well uh, <laughs> well you formed it or, or you 
you were a part of a gang and then you form one from there? Is right. that how that started? What a lot of people don't understand about gangs is that there's different chapters, right? So you start a criminal street gang, it's three or four people together, and or it could be hundreds of people depending on the size of the gang. Mm-hmm. We um, saw an opportunity, and the opportunity was overcoming poverty by selling drugs because everybody in those environments is somehow connected to the dope game. Mm-hmm. And so what we decided to do was take our piece of the pie. And in order to do that, we needed to have some kind of protection. So my friend Joey Torres and I, uh, Joey who's now incarcerated doing 15 years, he has three years left on his sentence, we, we put a team together. And the team was – we all had – common needs mm-hmm. we were all the same ethnic background and we all needed to do the same thing which was earn income so we started selling drugs little by little we evolved into stealing cars and sending them to chop shops then we started doing fraud with checks anything essentially just to overcome the poverty whatever it took uh, of course during the the course of those activities there's some exposure to getting arrested and we i was caught 13 times on various different charges Mm -hmm. and i ended up spending eight months incarcerated can you tell me about the first time you got arrested the first time i got arrested is um one of the things that planted the seeds of bitterness in my heart because i was 11 years old we had just been in florida for about a year and i remember like i said you know you could see kids driving nice cars several miles down the road Mm -hmm. and i wanted to go to a football game it was a pickup football game with my brother and we couldn't get there together at the same time because we only had one bike that we shared. So I told my brother, wait for me after school at the house. I'm going to come and pick you up. I had made my mind up that I was going to take whatever I thought I needed. And so I, 11 years old, I walked into a bicycle store and grabbed a pair of pegs. And I ran out, got on my bike, and pedaled home. Turned out the, the owner of the store was there. He's a triathlete. He caught me. <laughs> he, yeah, he, uh, and he wasn't um, understanding. You know, I... I immediately realized that it was a stupid thing, but um, I went to court after that, and then I had got placed on community control, and that made my circumstances much more difficult because the court system didn't teach me about how to cope with poverty. All they did was um, put me on community control and allowed my parents to have to take their already financial woes to another level because they had to pay money to keep me in court. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like this terrible human being. My parents didn't deserve that. Mm -mm. And, um, you know, the system didn't teach me how to understand what I needed to do to be better. So I became bitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So having all those um, marks against you, tell me a little bit how it was um, being treated by other people and and especially the cops. Like, I I know that there was a lot of injustice there, even though you did do wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, The one officer that arrested me when I was 11 years old, he and I ended up having a history for about over seven years. He would not relent. Anytime he saw me, he would profile me. He would come up to me and try to talk to me about what I was doing, where I was going, etc. And he ended up arresting me three or four times. As a matter of fact, a couple of times I ended up getting my butt pretty whipped by him and a couple of his buddies. Mm. And he saw me evolving you know he saw that i was a bad kid and he so he you know he didn't have reason to profile me because whether i had dope on me or not you still don't need to come up to me unless you have reasonable Mm -hmm. um suspicion that you need to speak to me or probable cause but um so this officer and i we had a history and he he did take it out on me the way that he shouldn't a couple of times and that kind of helped me form the wrong opinion about the law enforcement and the Mm -hmm. judicial system i didn't trust any of them yeah now tell me how was it like um what what kind of made you 
change to say, you know what, I, this is not for me anymore. And I, and I know that you had a dream always to be an attorney. Mm-hmm. And tell what was that point in your life where you decided, I can't do this anymore? Well, um, I didn't have a choice, really. I, uh, the alternative was becoming scarier. I was seeing my friends getting shot. I was seeing my friends getting incarcerated. And so I needed to find a way out because I was destroying my family. I was the oldest of four, and I saw my brother was becoming who I was. My sisters were hanging out with people who I was, and it started affecting me in an emotional way. And so I wanted to find some kind of way out. And what I needed to do was feel that my life had a purpose. All of the pain was for a reason. And so I wanted to believe in God because I felt like I needed someone to have my back because the resources weren't there. Mm. So because the resources weren't there, I needed some kind of motivation. You needed something higher. I did. And um, for most of my life during that time, I was agnostic or I, I... I'll say cynical because I couldn't understand why the pain, why the suffering, why the poverty, why be subjected to all this. Little did I realize years later, obviously, that those were actually blessings. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't see it that way at that point in time. They gave me leverage and it allowed me to understand how to develop the right character. Those experiences were some of the most experiences that I could imagine. Growing up on the streets taught me more about life than going to college or going to law school. I mean, I'm grateful for both those others, but um, you don't get a degree from graduating from the streets, but right. you get a sense of accomplishment that you made it out. You got a life you know? degree. That yeah. choice she's, you know, you know, of being better instead of bitter, because we all have that choice to mm-hmm. either be better or bitter with the circumstances that sure. we're, we're in. Uh, you all, it also gives you a different lens. So when you look at that cop who was profiling you, that, that cop that watched you, mm-hmm. he also was watching a progression mm. uh, in crime, but he was also going to be one of the top testimonials of this guy. I remember when he was this. I was the one that it wasn't a, mm-hmm. I heard, I actually saw a transformation mm-hmm. in him. Right. And so it even comes back at it almost, he's like one of your angels in the long run, in the big picture. Sure. Yeah. Um, yes. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, you know. I mean when you look at it, from, that's one way of looking at right. it. And if, if, if he could see you now, so to speak. Sure. I, um, well, he was actually um, sworn in in the same court system, of the same court system when he first got arrested when he was 11. Right. I mean, yeah. and so I was, you know, being sworn in in Florida has been huge for me. I, um, the, the officer, I don't have any ill will against him. I don't wish him uh, ill fate or anything of that sort. Obviously, it was part of my path. I think he could have done some things better. Sure. It goes to show you that the things that you're seeing in the media now are not just starting. They've been happening forever. We just didn't have smartphones. Humanity. Since the beginning of humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the all things come together for the good for those. I would love to have a conversation with him at some point. Um, I have tried to find him. From what I understand is this one particular officer who I wasn't very friendly to in the book, uh, he is no longer with the North Miami Beach Police Department. Mm. There's a story there as well. I'm well, sure. sure. I mean, I've historically that police department has had issues. If you look back on this year in January, they were using defendants' mugshots as target practice, which is terrible because it creates a disposition. It's they're predisposed to shoot yeah. the guy when you see him. Now. Most definitely, right? And um, but so Emily, I wanted to go back to what you were talking about. How I found my way out. Mm. Um, that was yes. my faith, you know. Yeah. And I found uh, I found God, and I found that 
you know, I, my life had a purpose. And so I started living more for uh, what he wanted out of my life, which was, I thought, to become a voice for those that were similarly situated like me. Not only for them, obviously. I want to try to inspire the haves and the have-nots, but um, that's what got me out. My faith is what took me through that. How difficult was it? It wasn't easy because trying to develop the conviction of get uh, that your faith is what your basis should be was really difficult because I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to talk to God, but I have been talking to him for a long time since that moment when I decided to get out. It, it happened in October of 2003. I was in my first semester of college. It was just started in August. In October, which was my birthday, I had an emotional breakdown. I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, just shaking, thinking, my brother's on drugs. He's selling drugs. He's carrying guns. My sisters are hanging out with the wrong people. I need help, you know. And the next morning, I went to church, and that's when I, uh, I just dropped down to my knees, and I asked for forgiveness, and I, I asked for a second chance at life, and that if I were to be afforded a second chance, that I would pay it forward, and I would never forget um, that he pulled me through that. Mm. That is so awesome. And I mean, it's a, like I, like you said, it's a testimony, but the thing is, is he completely understands you, David. Sorry. I'm like talking to him too. Mm -hmm. completely understand what these other kids are going through too. So now you can use that when you're talking to them and when you're helping them, mm -hmm. but back up a little bit, I've kind of went ahead cause I got excited. I do that. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is something to be excited about. To tell you the truth. Um, <coughs> Physically, like how how leaving the gang, I mean, you've created this image for yourself. You've created this gang that's yours. Mm -hmm. How do you get out of that? And there's people that are after you. There's other gangs. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, what ends up happening is anybody that you had a beef with or some kind of disconnect with during the process that you were gang affiliated is going to find out. And when they find out, you just got to be hoping that you're in a position to defend yourself. And there was... Tons of situations. I, I write about one particular one, and I was really worried because it happened right in front of my parents' house. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's just the case. You have to be prepared for it. You really do risk your life when you're gang-affiliated and you get out. A lot of people don't understand the difficulty of getting out. That's why nobody usually, they say, you are blood in, blood out, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was a ton of fights. There was a lot of... Um, disconnect even with my own friends that I was mm -hmm. associated with because a lot of people were thinking oh Dave's a snitch he's working with the police now because he all of a sudden he doesn't want to be around us anymore and so mm -hmm. I just That's faded so away scary. slowly it's like everybody's against you did you talk to your family about it there was only about three my family and then Joey Torres who I was mentioning as my friend who's incarcerated now he knew he was my right hand man I was his right hand man and he knew and then uh, a, a female that I was very close with uh, Nicole, she also knew she was one of the people that helped me get into college. And so uh, they're the only ones that I really um, trusted with the fact that I wanted to get out because you can't really start telling people that and not mean it. So you have to do it kind of by your actions. Right, mm -hmm. right. I can imagine they held you accountable for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what was the, the inspiration behind the book to, that you felt you had to document this going forward? I mean, um, what was behind that? There's... There's truly no more, no one has more potential to rise than those people who start at the very bottom. You climb every rung and you learn so much if you just continue to fight. And the goal is that the American dream is still real. You know, it exists. 
I came from almost nothing. I had a good family background. My parents were there, but resource-wise, there was not very much in that neighborhood. And I pulled myself out of that. And the reason why I wanted to be transparent is because I think that it can be done because I did it. And, of course, I had a lot of great people that helped me along the way. I didn't do this on my own. And your faith. And my faith, yeah. which was the most important thing. Yeah. It's my, my basis. And that's what I always want people to know. You know, ask and you shall receive. Work and you'll get it. If you want your status to escalate, you need to put in the work. Mm -hmm. And if you do it, this country will give you the opportunity to do it. I mean, if you look at my statistics were against me. Flat out. 13 arrests, 8 months incarcerated, impoverished, no education. I have a GED. How many lawyers do you know with a GED? And so that's my goal is to tell kids, look, I came from nothing and I made something of myself. You can do it too. And that's the plan. The plan is to try to motivate and inspire those who don't have much by the way of hope. That's, and, and that's beyond hope. When you put your faith in action, that transcends hope mm -hmm. because hope is something you're, hope, you're, you're waiting for. Mm -hmm. Whereas you put the action in, whether it was – joining the game because you knew you had to do something at that moment, whether mm -hmm. you felt that was the best thing or not, you, you had to do something. So action came. Sure. And I see the pattern of, of your life is really a, a pillar that shows if there's injustice, there's one way. And that's, that's, it's, it's through your hope and your faith, but also through the example of the choices that you made. You exactly. Know? Yeah, and I, I think that's powerful. And, and transparency. I mean, that's what draws uh, relationships, whether it's in business or, or personal relationships. There has to be a level of transparency. And this book shows the transparency. That's where people can connect with. They, they see the humanity. They see themselves. I mean, there's, we, we, have more, we, we have more similarities than we have differences. Right. And mm -hmm. if you think about it or you look at the statistics, more of Americans have some kind of checkered past or some kind of blemish on their background no one's perfect we all make mistakes it's just the reason why except i wanted craig. to be transparent except craig no. <laughs> <laughs> okay don't go don't google craig williams folks <laughs> yeah really you're yeah. exactly right you're yeah. exactly right and that's you know that's the thing is um everybody has a past and your past doesn't define you and that's the goal the goal is be transparent be honest be real and show people that it can be done despite whatever past issues you've had no matter what your criminal i mean if i have 13 arrests and i can become a dual licensed attorney i don't i think that people can find to overcome similar circumstances or even other circumstances that are challenging them in their life certainly it's it's, it's very inspiring i mean i even related and i was not a part of a gang i promise <laughs> you sure yeah what's that <laughs> tattoo on your <laughs> What does the tattoo mean? That, that was the rebel that I had no cause for. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Sure it's not gang tattoo? <laughs> yeah, so um, very inspiring book. And um, tell me some of the stories where you just started to um, apply for law school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how did that, or just apply for school. Right. And how did that, how were you treated? And you were very transparent mm -hmm. when you were dealing with those people. I was candid about the whole thing because I knew I didn't have a choice, honestly. They're going to find out. No one's not going to uncover 13 arrests. <laughs> so I figured I might as well be straightforward about it completely all the way through. And I had faith the entire time. Mm. I really believed that I was on a path for something. So I was willing to write it on paper and then meet with people and look them in the eye and tell them, this is my circumstance. This is what I came from, but this is what I'm trying to evolve into. So mm. if you give me a chance, I will prove to you that you made good on your choice. And um, John Marshall 
God bless them because really no other school gave me a shot. And Shannon Keefe, the director of admissions back when I was uh, registering, she brought me in and we had an interview with Dean Mears. Uh, he's Professor Mears now. And this guy was a great guy. He listened to my story, you know, and they went and brought it up to the board. And a couple weeks after my personal visit there to the school, they called me at my house and it was on my dad's birthday when I found out that I was going to law school. So wow. yeah, it's uh, it was kind of cool. God loves dates. Man, that is powerful. Yeah. That is powerful. Yeah, and you fought a lot of odds. You're still fighting now, not in the physical sense, but you're fighting to sit for the bar. You're fighting to, you know, so tell me mm. some more about, I mean, even when you had that internship. Right. I, I started off as an intern with Manny Aurora. I knew I needed to align myself with people with reputable um excuse me, with good reputations who were reputable because mm -hmm. it would help me with my resume and it would help me be recognized that I'm trying to do the right things. And so I worked with Manny for a year, and he was a great mentor, and he's still a mentor to today. Um, he and I had a great first year. We worked on a ton of cases. He has a lot of criminal street gang cases. He's got a lot of high-profile athlete cases. So I learned a ton from him. And I was candid with him about the whole background as well. And he told me, he said, look, we will work with me for a year, and then we're going to get you into the DA's office, so that way you'll have that on your resume as well before you go to the bar. And so then I went to the DA's office, and um, I kind of was, it was an informal, unorthodox process by which I got into the, uh, the intern program. And so I got into the intern program, and about a month later, they did a background check on me. And that's when they said, you got to go. You can't be a government agent. There's no chance, and it's not going to happen for you here because you have too much of a history. A couple of days later, I reached back out to them, and I said, look, I, my dreams can't die like this. you got to help me. Um, get me in front of Mr. Robert James so I can talk to him. This was all in DeKalb County. And uh, a day later— I'm not shocked. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> the chief investigator called me and he said, um, Mr. James wants to see you. And so I went in that following um, the Monday of that week upcoming and met with him face to face. And he's a man of God. Um, I thought it was going to be a quick conversation. Hey, sorry, you know, et cetera. We talked for about three or four hours nice. and uh, we shared our histories. We talked about everything. We talked about family. We talked about so many things. And um, we ended up sharing a prayer. And he asked me, he said, would you? Would you take your job back because you can help so many of the kids in the juvenile? You you can be a change agent for them. You know, he said to me, uh, "You're the American dream." You Did came you tell to now? me. <laughs> yeah, I, I reject your offer. <laughs> Sorry, I got better things to do. Um, but he's a great guy, and he really looked out for me. And That's so, awesome. mm -hmm, and then he vouched for me with the bar, and so I got into the Flo Georgia bar. And but obviously that wasn't the end for me. I wanted to go to Florida and finish the the circle of rehabilitation, mm -hmm. so to speak. And so I took the bar there. I passed it on my first try as well. And uh, But there was a lot of administrative tape that I needed to go to. There's a lot of, excuse me, red tape that I needed to go through. <laughs> and um, I'm just thinking about all the uh, letters I sent the administration back and forth. It was a year and a half of me drafting letters, them responding, me going back and forth. And uh, it was difficult. So I asked for an investigative hearing. I went before the board of bar examiners, um, for Florida and we just had it out. We had a real moment. We had a moment of them really interrogating everything about my life. And I gave them all honest answers. They, it's I almost think like were, confession. Oh yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> mm -hmm. They try to break me really, honestly, yeah. they really try to break me. They asked some difficult questions that it, they were pointed yeah. and sharp and 
they weren't friendly, but towards the end that you could see them starting to soften up. Like if they really believed that I wasn't lying about anything because I didn't lie about anything. And um, a week later, they issued the oath of attorney. I bought a flight. I flew down to the courthouse where I was facing 15 years in Florida, and I swore in before that judge. And a uh, couple, couple, when did I do it? But uh, in July, I brought a copy of the book to the judge, and the judge is just blown away now. I, I see. I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. And, you know, I, I've always believed, well, I still believe there's a master plan, even when it's oh, not in my favor. Uh, and um, looking at this thing from their perspective, they were always, your future was hanging on their decision, but so was theirs. Because if they made a mistake in regards to you, mm-hmm. it, it, it would come back to, you know, well, it would shoot down every opportunity for, there's going to be many of you coming and, oh, yeah. and, and you are the, you know, the poster boy in, in essence. And, and I look back only because of where we are today and say, that's part of what you had to go through because of the choices exactly. and, 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 and your choices were, were choices that will make way for others. And, 100%. and you look at history and man uh, of man at all times, if there was ever a big break, breakthrough, it wasn't easy. And anything that we want in life is never going to be easy, of even course. a hard that's life. That's what everybody's mm-hmm. trying to do now. It's like everybody just wants everything handed to them. Well, I mean, we're in this entitled, and I mean, and, and no pop, pop shots at um, American Idol and, and the such, you know. Um, well, they work hard. But, but, but you got to understand <laughs> how that changed the music industry after even technology had already, you know, taken a big mm-hmm. uh, chunk out of it. Uh, it. It was almost like, hey, you didn't have to put in the work that when you look at the unsungs and the 30 for 30s and the, uh, behind the music, that story behind every triumph, there has to be tragedy. There's it no to right to triumph. Oh, of course. And, you know, the board of bar examiners was well within their right for questioning me and my character and my fitness to practice law. I mean, I would. So they did the right thing. And I think that people should not have their trials and tribulations removed from them. They should overcome them on their merit, on their work, on their work ethic, because it helps you develop character and it helps you get to where you're supposed to go. So I never had it easy. I had to earn it. They made me earn it, but it was the right thing. And if you look at it now, they needed to set the right precedent, like you were saying, Craig, because – who knows how many of me will follow? And I, I'm so grateful for that because I don't want to be the exception. I don't want – there's so many more like me out there that can be saved. And they did the right thing by interrogating me the way that they did. Now, if you look at it, um, recently they, they were tweeting our story. The board – the Florida Board of Bar Examiners, the Florida Bar, they were tweeting our story. That is this so is awesome. a year after all this you know, conflict that we were having. And so now we're friends. Yeah. It's amazing. And so we so formed cool. the relationship, and they're talking about my book, and, and I'm advocating about how great they were for giving me a chance. And, and so that's life. That's why you can't have your trials taken from you because it helps you develop. Make your mess your mm-hmm. message. That's it. Right. And he's done that. Mm-hmm. Boy, has David Lee done that, folks. <laughs> David he's Lee done, has that. done that. So tell me a little bit. I have no idea why they came up with red ink. So, <laughs> yeah. Might be a little bit of the hair color or the beard, but... <laughs> Um, so Red was my nickname growing up um, in the gang. That, that was, was your my gang nickname, name. right? I got a tattoo. I got while well, I was incarcerated of Red, 
And um, the reason RED was perfect was because the acronym stands for Rehabilitation Enables Dreams. And as I had to rehabilitate myself, and then because of my rehabilitation, I enabled myself to accomplish my dream, I want to do the same for others. And this, uh, this journey is no longer about me. And so the nonprofit is what's helping me pay it forward. And it's very redeeming, very gratifying. It's very rewarding to be able to relate with um, individuals who have similar backgrounds that I do and don't see it for themselves. So I come in and, and I am some kind of hope for them. And that's what we're doing now. We're working with, uh, through the nonprofit with diversion programs. As a matter of fact, we've worked with Sherry Boston and Goals and DeKalb County with Judge Stacy Heydrich and her alternative path program. We worked with Judge Jackson, Superior Court Judge in DeKalb County with Project Pinnacle. And we started working now with a young lady named Melissa Kusemba. She's the director of transitional programs at Spartanburg Detention Center. And what they're doing is um, sort of instead of what we're doing in the cab for diversion to prevent by doing the rehabilitation up front, these individuals who are getting out, they're using the book as reading material in a creative writing program for reentry. Yeah, recidivism. Yeah. Right. Yeah, to, to get them to reacclimate because we want to stop recidivism. It can be stopped. It can't, it's all about teaching the behaviors. Um, it's, it's about helping them become It's a literate. mindset. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And that needs to be Believing, changed. life mm-hmm. skills. It's certain little things that if you give them those tools, they're not coming back. Yeah, they're creating not. that environment that mm-hmm. they didn't have in most cases before they went in. Correct. You know? And if they know that somebody cares and is trying to teach them how to prepare a resume, how to tie a tie, how to conduct an interview, how to balance a checkbook, how to draft a letter of intent or of interest for an opportunity. Those things go far and beyond. They don't teach you that in the hood. They don't teach you that in school, high school. And so those are the things that we're trying to do. So um, tell me a little bit about um, exactly what the program is. So you take somebody who has been arrested before, has some sort of criminal history. Mm -hmm. and So what we do is we mentor them. We talk to them about their mistakes. And when I say we, it's me and some of the prosecutors associated with the programs in the cab or the judges. And so what we do is we talk to these kids like this is why you made this mistake. A lot of these programs uh, historically have been tailored in a way that it says, hey, show up here, sign on this sign-in sheet. And once you're, you're done watching this video, you're free to go. Well, they don't learn anything that way. So we talk to them about people who myself have made the same mistakes that they have made and how I rehabilitated and what did I need to do? What was the path? How, how did I go from being in the streets to being in a classroom and from being in a classroom to being in a law school and from being in a law school to being in an office employed, making mm-hmm. money legitimately? Or whatever it is they may choose. Right, exactly. Because it's they all pretty to, much the same. Right, whether you want to be a radio host, whether you want to be a judge, a police officer, a, a life coach, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Anything. Just don't sell drugs. Don't steal to make money. There's ways out, and there's ways to figure out. But we're teaching them those life skills in the diversion programs. I remember when you learned how to tie a tie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice full Windsor, folks. Thanks. He's, got, he's wearing it. You know, nice it's funny. Full. You bring that up because one of the things, to give you an example, when I went to college and when I went to law school, a lot of the things that were happening to me were alienating because I felt uncomfortable. For example, I didn't know proper table etiquette. I had to watch YouTube videos to get up to speed before I went to networking events while I was in law school. Thank God for YouTube, folks. Yeah, thank (laughs) God for YouTube. Seriously, they have so many videos. But 
if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't, I would have been out in the dark. And so these kids, I know their struggle. They get uncomfortable in certain situations yeah. because they're not skilled or experienced in those feel areas. feel inferior. Of course. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel mm-hmm. like you don't belong. And mm-hmm. those are the things that will drive you away from pursuing your goals. Yeah. It's, it's the things that enhance our fears that get mm-hmm. us distracted from the, the road we need to be on. Exactly. And these kids that you're choosing, um, a lot of them don't have the family life that you did. Obviously, they're they are where they are because their family life isn't that great. Mm. You know, they don't have parents that are um, teaching them to work hard and right. to beat other kids up to get home. I'm sorry. I'm just mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so tell me, how hard has it been to to try to help these kids? You don't have to be a parent to be a friend who cares and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what we try to teach them, that there's people out there that do have their best interests in mind. And mm-hmm. we know that not every person has a perfect family background. And so taking that into consideration, we know, I know, and the people I'm working with know that it can work itself out if you provide them with a means because mm-hmm. they need to know that they can do it for themselves, that someone believes in them and that somebody cares. You and almost become like a, f- a father figure to them, I bet. Absolutely. There's a couple kids that I work with directly, one who has such a difficult life, and um, you know we're working through that right now, and he is starting to see it. He's read the book. I hang out with him. We spend time together, and um, he's doing it. He's really developing confidence little by little. And when I first met him, he didn't, have the confidence to order uh, a, a meal at a, a small restaurant. And now we're starting to develop those skills to get wow. him to, to, to feel comfortable with himself. The things we take it for granted. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's our nature. It's our nature. It's our nature also to, like you, like you were saying er, early, David, to, to, to help others mm-hmm. if we see that there's help needed. Oh, you yeah. Know? And, um, I mean, I look at this story in so many, so many ways, and I, I mean, we talked about a perfect family. Uh, if there's humans involved, there is there's no perfection, no perfect right? You know, and 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 that's the thing that we all Except have to recognize. <laughs> we all have to recognize that, and um, the compassion that you're able to have because you've gone through that mm-hmm. right. is a compassion that we have to. We need to find in our own lives. Uh, we. Maybe not all of us are supposed to be looking for the children who are down and out or looking for the or drug addict or whatever. But there's a path that to. we all have right. where we could reach back and show compassion for another person and, and, and consider another person as we may have not been considered. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've been experiencing going through the process of helping people through the nonprofit is that a lot of the defendants – and I hate calling them defendants because one day they won't be defendants. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a label. Right. Yeah. And these these folks kids. are mirror images of some of – some of them are mirror images of some of the kids that I grew up with. So I see this almost in, incredibly strikingly similar individual to someone I grew up with who I knew could have had a bright future, who I knew was capable, who I knew had all of the desire, just didn't have the means. And so when I see these people, I'm thinking – I'm going to prevent them from falling victim the same way that my friends fell victim because they didn't have the resources. So whether they have no family background, a perfect family background, I can always relate on some level because I saw so much of it growing up with the friends that I had. Mm -hmm. Now tell me a little bit about your practice. Um, It has a lot to do with all of this. Right. It's all kind (laughs) of intertwined. I, um, I handle 
major felony cases and some misdemeanor cases. I've very fortunate and been blessed to be able to cherry pick the cases that I work on. So I try to, when I field calls that are not referrals, I try to focus on the individuals that I can actually help with a life impact. You know, mm-hmm. income is great, but impact is much more important. So impact over income, right? Yeah. And so if I can find people who are between the ages of 15 to 25, those are the ones that I try to help because I end up usually having an everlasting, um, life-changing impact on them. And that's the goal is because I want to be able to make sure that I'm not just getting them out of a legal issue. I want to help them become the best version of themselves. So I've been fortunate that now I can cherry pick my cases. And um, it's red, it's cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Very intentional. That's awesome. And so where are you located? Here in Buckhead. Fantastic. Another reason why he's on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Well, it's not, it's not a prerequisite now. No, is it? no is it? not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it makes it's, it easy. Yeah, and, and it's good <laughs> if you... I would travel to come be with you guys and hang out for a day. If <laughs> we would make you. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're dealing with Peachtree, what's that office, you know, that organization? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Um, so tell me about your book and um, some updates. Isn't there something in the works? There are. There's been a lot of things that have been happening. Um, very exciting stuff. We have signed a shopping agreement with the Tyler Perry Studios, and they're working on getting a screenwriter for an actual film. And so I don't know what that means, but God willing, um, throw a little prayer up, we will probably hopefully have a film in the near future or some kind of short series like a Netflix kind of deal. Sure. And um Oh that would be even better I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most definitely. I think the Netflix, Netflix series type Ever. thing would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. I just finished watching Narcos. Because it's know, red. You guys seen Narcos yeah. and that's it's really red. good. Yeah. yeah. They just yeah. need to title it red. Yeah. Red ink. We'll see how it works out. I don't know, but I'm excited about that. And then William Morris agency out in California reached out to us when an AJC article uh went live and they wanted to represent us, and so we've been talking to some attorneys over there, and I don't know what's going to happen exactly. It's all in God's um, will, but mm-hmm. um, so, so there crazy. are some exciting things. Uh, yeah. It's possible that we'll have a film soon, which is great because uh, it'll allow me to reach a larger audience and have this testimony shared to other people that maybe I can't reach directly, but I can reach through some sort of media or some form. Could you imagine I mean, he's saying that it could be stopped. You know, poverty can be stopped. The gang life can be stopped. And oh, it could certainly. be it's if this becomes a movie. Well, options. I mean, the, the reason you, you, you go back to the beginning of his story is options were limited uh, because of the environment. And mm-hmm. if we change our environment, no one is greater than their environment or their community. And that's mm-hmm. why if we don't start with changing our communities, and that really starts with the individual. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, be the change you want to see. And you became that change you want wanted to see. Of course. I think yeah. a lot of the mistakes that the people who make it out of those environments make is that they don't go back. And we need to go back. We have... That's we a need, good point. Right, exactly. Give back because it can be done. And so, you know, we have a lot of athletes that come out of our neighborhoods and we have a lot of rappers that come out of our neighborhoods. And that's fantastic. Um, but we need thinkers. Yeah. We need doctors, lawyers, judges, police officers. We need more. and Business we, owners. Business owners, entrepreneurs, oh. everything. And so these people can do it if they're given the resources. And that's why I am enjoying what I'm doing because this journey is not about just me anymore. Most definitely. Most definitely. So any final thoughts? 
I, uh, I mean, I'm encouraged to see others who allow their faith to be a, a proponent uh, of, of what they do in their significance in their workplace, in their lives, in other people's lives. And uh, I love what David, David is being, uh, not just doing, but being. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate that. I, one thing that I've uh, learned throughout this whole process is that uh, the only thing that you have when you're done here is your story. And if you're going to have one, make it a good one and do it so that it impacts others and it helps others. Leave something behind for the next person. If you take care of them, then you'll definitely be taken care of. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So tell me more about the book and where people can find the book. So the book's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles, and it's also available on my personal website, which is His Story in the Making. It's a little bit of a funky spelling. It's two S's, hisstoryinthemaking.com. And so you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and uh, pretty soon we're going to actually be having uh, – we'll be releasing a Spanish version of it. So we're going to release the Spanish version of it. Nice. And um, uh, that will be happening in the near future. And well, your firm, tell me where we can locate you. We're the Windature Firm, and it's here in Buckhead on Roswell Road. And the phone number for your firm is? 404-487-9501. I'll put you on the spot. Thanks. <laughs> and your social media. You're all over social media, aren't you? Yes, I have a Twitter handle. It's David Windature, and then I have a Facebook, and the book has its own uh, social media and stuff. That's where, with uh, the searching of my name, a lot of the stuff comes up. You can find him. Yeah. Awesome. Just look for the redhead. Yeah. It's the ginger. <laughs> <laughs> nice bread. Nice we beer. were so excited to hear your story again, but more... Uh, in detail it's it's very inspiring and we're just so glad that you're here and uh, we love what you do and um, i'm so glad to have this outlet for you yes and And thank you i want to thank you and rich and craig i know that um, you and i have had several conversations and i'm grateful for your taking an interest in helping me get the story out there it means a lot to me the more people that know and the more people that we can help and so I'm grateful for you guys for giving me a platform. And if there's ever anything that I can do to help you guys out in any way possible, um, I'm always a phone call away. Thanks, David. Awesome. So you, that is it. It's Atlanta Legal Experts. I am Emily Rowell with Peachtree Offices, signing out. Thank you again for joining Emily Rowell and her guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show. And stay tuned for the next episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio.